The content in this podcast is meant for mature audiences only, 18 and up, as some of it may be difficult to listen to. Continuing to listen to this content releases Rest, Virginia Dixon, from All Liability. everyone to the rest podcast where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion chaos and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life i am your host natalie williams and i am here with the author of the reconstitution method for healing and rest virginia dixon hey natalie hi virginia so today I know that we're having, well, we're moving into a new series today about grief. So it's going to be a heavier topic, but we're going to continue our conversation with Catherine Vance from last week. I'm so looking forward to, to this primarily because last week might have been a little bit confusing for some people. So I wanted to get very practical with you, Catherine. The entire month we talked about the exceptionalism and the ideas that made this nation principles of liberty and the consequence being freedom. And we talked about the consequence of that language and the language of liberty that shaped this constitution and the ideas that followed, right? And were instrumental in preserving it. And we also talked about language and we talked about what's been happening and the developments in education And I invited you to be a guest last month because you are a product of that line of thinking, that line of reasoning. Your mom invested her life in educating all six kids. Today, I want to get very practical. So welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. (laughs) I'm happy too. And I know I asked you some tough questions last week because I'm deeply concerned about the hemorrhaging heart of a nation, specifically of a generation. And I thought the best way to address some of those themes were for you to be very practical. You had this great education, you reason well, you're very articulate, even though I know it's hard to do a podcast for the first time, but you are. You're a very clear thinking, articulate, bright young woman who has her fingers on the pulse of your generation. And so... I want our listening audience to see the consequence of all those ideas that shaped your life and how they were instrumental in helping you navigate through some traumatic events, one specific traumatic event that cost you an enormous amount of grief. Absolutely. Yeah. I was raised with, you know, a certain way of thinking, a certain education, but that in no way made me immune to the world or to life or to the consequences of The human condition, right? Yeah, human condition. Mm -hmm. What happened? I think I was 22. In the middle of college, I went through a very traumatic rape experience. And the perpetrator was one of my best friends. You know, at the time, he worked for me at a restaurant I managed. We were in the same undergrad program. And the event happened at my home. So overnight, everything that represented a source of security was gone. And not only was it gone, pretty much everyone I knew was also involved because of the nature of 
our friendship and what this brought into that. What does that mean? Everybody has an opinion. Everybody took oh, a position. Well, when everything happened, I don't have a ton of clear memories about it, but I had called one of my best friends and, you know, I, I told her what I knew at the time. He had left a letter for me describing everything that had happened as well. And I kind of wasn't quite sure if it was really real. I was like, do you think that this happened? And she said, I think you need to go to the hospital right now. So I went and the hospital reported the crime to law enforcement. And pretty quickly, a lot of parties were involved. They came to my home, they investigated and quickly confirmed that, you know, this did in fact happen. They confirmed the crime and they said this was actually one of the stronger cases they had seen and they're not often this clear. And they asked if I would testify against this person. And so just with the start of the investigation and because of how integrated our lives were, I had friends, colleagues, students, professors, everyone became involved. And what happened? I kind of had to lay low. So I moved from my apartment. I kept working at the restaurant, but he was under a court order to leave. But I didn't stay working too long because there was actually a lot of stalking happening, a lot of intimidation. And it was just, it was becoming unsafe for me to be out in public too much. And I think the time of the crime to the trial was about nine months. So my life a little bit went on pause. Uh, I'd say. Yeah. Talk about grief compounded with trauma. Yeah, it was a very isolating time. And how did this affect your relationship with your friends specifically? It was polarizing. I had a handful of friends that kind of came and were by my side and just very faithful friends and showed up in ways, you know, I didn't even know I needed. And then I had friends that or who I thought were friends, kind of, it, it polarized. It triggered something in them, and they would go out of their way to kind of pin me down or to kind of pervert the investigation and the trial. Cause, Manipulate? Absolutely. And so, like, the detectives, would, you know, they could see people tracking me, following me. They were kind of telling me who to stay away from and not, and there was a lot of foul play involved. And a lot of people were really trying to save this person. No one actually really questioned what happened, but they wanted to save this person from the consequences of what he did. So it was quite, kind of bizarre because no and, one was saying this didn't happen, but they're like, yeah, but he could go to jail for a long time. They wanted or to rationalize this. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> In your estimation, what caused them to take that position, knowing that this had in fact happened? In my opinion... Purely opinion, I think after being raped, going through that experience, I realized how common it was because I had two responses from women. Mm -hmm. I would tell my story and I was shocked by the number of women who had said, wow, you know, I wish I had said something, you know, or, and I feel like the people who had more of an adverse response to kind of cover it up or push it aside or make it go away, it just kind of made me think there might be some unresolved trauma in their life. Totally. And the reason I asked you that question is because I think we have a rape culture mm. and compliance is what's perpetrating the evil that is upon us. 
And the consequence of this is devastating, not just to, to the victims, but to the next generation. And I was not anticipating you to access that response. And you're absolutely correct. It's a rape culture. And there's a measure of compliance and acceptance. It compounds the trauma. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk says that trauma is a wound. It's an event that overwhelms the central nervous system. And it alerts how we process and recall memories. After that rape, something specific happened to you that we discussed before the interview began. So the rape triggered a lot of memories that weren't in my conscious awareness. And it started to kind of bring things up. And I had this one specific dream where there was a maternal figure and I was five years old and she walked me through my entire life and, you know, covered abuse that happened as young as five and continued up until 22. And she told me that this is the root of everything that's happened to you. I woke up from that dream and I really thought about it and I considered my life and all the things that I had experienced and had gone through and, you know, things that weren't as severe as a rape, but definitely there was a lot of abuse that had happened much younger and continued. And it started to bring back these memories of my younger childhood. Again, such an important point that you're making. I always talk, and Dr. Vanderkoll wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. But it isn't just the, the trauma that stays in the body that can be often triggered by compounding trauma. But it's the root cause of compounding traumatic events that is often exposed by that quiet, still voice we talk a lot about. And that quiet, still voice is your spirit. It is your person. I like to think about it as the Holy Spirit that actually informs our spirit while we sleep and our subconscious mind. And I think we become incredibly skilled at silencing it and compartmentalizing that sound, that, that voice, right? Because we don't want to deal with something or we think we're crazy or maybe I'm right. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Or I'm making this up or this couldn't have happened to me. And as a result, it really derails our life in ways we don't understand until we have encounters like you and I have had. This is something that I want our listening audience to pay attention to. And that is that quiet, still voice that informs your conscience that something is deeply wrong. Even if you can't explain it, you can't identify it. We must begin to have meaningful conversations about this. Coming back to the specific rape, what do you think is the anatomy of this rape culture? What's feeding it? Well, in your opinion, yeah, I think there is a misunderstanding that rape is a sexual crime and it's not. It's more a crime of power and control. And going deeper, I think when we look at our conscience as our most sacred property, if we're consenting, if we're compliant with whatever the status quo is, it's an assault we're committing against ourselves and we're giving up the control. Mm -hmm. We're giving up, we're giving, we're opening the doors and giving people access to our very soul in ways we don't understand. Look, rape is a weapon of mass destruction. And if we have a rape culture, 
we're talking about war. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this one event in and of itself was not that traumatic, but it wreaked havoc on my life following it. Tell us about it. I mean, it completely derailed just the way I thought, processed things. You know, I didn't have a ton of emotions about it. I felt like I'd moved on, but all of a sudden my mind wasn't working the same. All of a sudden I kind of felt stuck. I couldn't move forward. Like there were so many, I think, kind of ramifications in my physiology that I couldn't put my finger on. And all of a sudden you think, why am I sick all the time? Yeah. Why isn't this working? My hips aren't right. My neck's always disaligned, right? My stomach, I'm having all these stomach problems. And you had these recesses. Yeah, or anxiety, depression. It's like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't struggle with that before, you know. Compounding grief, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's not just the loss of friends, the loss of relationships, the confusion, chaos, and disease that emerges and everything. The loss of identity. Yep. And I think that was actually the hardest part about it was, even though I'd kind of put a false importance on education and where I lived and things like that, the fact that they were all gone immediately was actually way more traumatic to me than anything that I experienced or went through. During the course of working mm-hmm. together, yeah, this narrative has come up multiple times. And something that captured my attention was how the state of Virginia engaged you in dealing with this traumatic event that reaped unbelievable grief in your life. I was shocked, and I want our listening audience to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, the state of Virginia and how they handled this was actually, when I look back, it was a very empowering situation. Like, I felt very covered. I felt very protected. In the midst of such a kind of chaotic and confusing time, you know, I had advocates and attorneys and detectives who were kind of reminding me like no you're not crazy like we're gonna see this through like and it wasn't to an expected outcome but like it was my due diligence to either say something for whoever could have been next but also to stop the cycle in my own life so you know I was committed to seeing it through but then as the investigation progressed it's like you know friends and family everyone who didn't want to face it also wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of shut it down or blame me. And I was kind of shocked by, you know, friends and family members who kind of wanted to make me the cause of all of this. I'm so sorry, Catherine. I know that happens all the time. It happens, not all the time, but it happens often. It's very common. It is common. Yeah, being your age, Natalie, can you speak to this concept of a rape culture and how the woman is often bears the weight I mean, it's, this is really close to me because I have a, a, a similar experience, except for me, I, I did not speak out against it until many years later. And I think actually, Virginia, you were the first person that I told mm. besides my own mom, because I told my mom, I think a year before I told you, but th- it was years after the event took place. But it was because of the rape culture, it was because of that blame that lives in our society like that I did not speak out and of course you know people have like this whole me too movement and all that I'm I'm not even gonna address that right now but like you know I really think that that's part of it there's this whole fear around it and knowing that we're the most likely to be blamed and it's the first question that you could ask is well what were you wearing what do you mean what was I wearing like you know it has nothing to do with that and 
I really think it comes down to the home. I think it comes down to homes without lawful authority. I think I think it comes down to people not being raised under these principles, having respect for the opposite sex. Having- what's interesting, it's true, but what's interesting is Catherine was... And was oh, the I fruit know. of that, and still, but the but abuse he went, might not have. That's might, that's my point. Is yeah, that he, is that with a? I honestly think that now at this point, we're at a majority in our country where we're not being raised with that kind of education and with that kind of thought process and with that kind of reasoning. There's there's disregard for what's sacred about yes. our common humanity. Yes, I thank think. you. And, well, we talk. You and I talk about this so much. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's about a disregard for what is sacred. But even in light, I mean, the guy wrote a confession. See that and confuses leaves, me. And leaves the details. Actually, I can't even get into what's behind that. Yeah, I'm. The, I'm curious. Yeah, we won't talk about that because this is about you and yes. grief. Yes. Did it bring you a measure of comfort that the state of Virginia gave you a spine of steel? Oh, absolutely. Because government officials get a lot of crap for all the the in, unjust, yeah, or all the injustices, right? Mm-hmm. And the confusion, chaos within the legal system. But here's a particular situation where the state really stood by you. No, they got behind me. Specific people even requested my case. Like, I felt very valued. There was even an instance, it was kind of comical, but I had gotten in a minor car accident. Like, I hit someone's bumper. And the cop wanted me to show up in traffic court. And so I showed up, and it was the same judge who's on the case for the rape. So I walked oh. up and he looked at me and he just was like dismissed. Oh. <laughs> and everyone in the courtroom looked at me like, who is she? And I like, grabbed my purse. And I was like, bye. But they're little. But yeah, they're little. he just was like this poor thing. Like, why are you back here? Get, oh. Go home. Right. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of things that grief puts us in another realm and it's easy to be distracted and have little. Bumper fender bender, benders, fender yeah. benders, fender benders. Yeah. <laughs> little fender renders. So little things like that and divine appointments mm-hmm. like that. Did that give you hope that God is in fact sovereign over all things and he was going to stand with you through the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I never was hung up on like a certain outcome of him going to jail or this happening. So you know, I, I just wanted to do my diligence, say my part. I felt the state of Virginia is very capable in handling it so far. They'll see this through. This isn't my case. I'm just testifying. I think they did well by the situation, by the case, everything that happened. And I was very impressed with the systems and the individuals involved. And yeah, like I've heard horror stories, like especially you, Natalie, even. That's a majority of what I hear. And that was that wasn't yeah, my girls experience. Don't say anything. Yeah, and they deserve it. And it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when you're drunk out of your mind, you're using recreational drugs, mm-hmm. and honestly, a lot of the fashion and how girls dress today in the '60s, the '70s, hookers dressed like that. Mm-hmm. That's not a good combination. Not yeah. that it justifies the act of being raped. Never. But, but it is the perfect storm. It's an environmental factor right. that needs to be considered. It's a consideration. Mm-hmm. 
there's a measure of modesty, there's a measure of integrity in how we show up to everything Mm -hmm. that is a necessary part of this conversation. Would you agree or disagree with that? Or is that offensive, Kate? No, I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, it's the culture of rape. Well, that's a big part. Drugs, alcohol, the invitation. Yeah. And when you say we have a culture of rape, I mean, it, it doesn't start and stop with drugs and alcohol. It's the music we listen to and we don't listen to. I mean, we're singing, we're, we're joining in with this song, you know, the movies we watch, the books that we read, the editorials, the magazine, there is this kind of, you know, domineering theme, I think, in sexuality that is pervasive among every avenue of our culture. And that's the perfect storm. The combination of that with drugs and alcohol and all those facets of culture. Well, it's normalizing it. It's normalizing it. And so all of a sudden, perhaps also that's why there's this compliance because everybody's conditioned in this same culture. Yeah, we're like not your role. That's right. Yeah. Until it happens, though. Yeah. Then when it happens, the trauma, the grief sets in. Even with like dating apps now, like the, it's so weird because I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine about this, where people on these dating apps now are saying like, "Oh, I'm a dom looking for a sub," like things like that. Which is are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding at all. No, this is stuff that's like this on, is actually like it's pretty common. A now. conversation over a latte that I would have with my girlfriends. This, that's how common yeah. that is. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, so that's just another like point of proof of where we're well, at I have a in question. culture with this. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up now. Yeah. Because I have several patients and clients that I'm dealing with this very topic about. I just didn't know it was on dating apps. Oh, it's everywhere. Yeah. Where does this stop? Do we lose a generation to suicide addiction? A rape culture that's marginalized because they're absolutely completely disengaged from their soul and they sit out 40, 50, 60 years of their life from the trauma. What happens? I think we need to re-engage with our identity and who we are, you know. Yeah. Who we are as human beings, who we were made to be. And what's sacred about us as a human. Yeah. I like that. What's sacred about our common humanity Mm -hmm. because there's a war over defining who we are. Mm-hmm. in terms of gender and all this crazy conversation, I say, go back to the science. Yeah. Show me what the cellular constitution and the anatomy of a person is. Let's go with science. The primary source of science. The primary source of science, not the whims of the individuals. Correct. We're living in a time of incredible confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. How did the principles you were raised with sustain you through unthinkable darkness, even when your closest friends, family, everybody's in shock too. They don't know how to process it. How did they sustain you? Well, I think it gave me the strength. Like I was pretty uncompromised. Like I didn't ever question not saying anything. Like, so it wasn't, yeah, I lost friends. Yeah, I was betrayed by family members. But none of that really deterred me because I knew kind of what I needed to do and what my duty was. Yeah, and I knew where my value was and where I was going to draw the line in the sand. Yeah. Your conscience is yeah. your property. And, you know, the rest of it could work itself out. But like at the end of the day, I'm the only person who has to wake up and look at myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is the answer to grief, in my opinion, and the work that I do with people. Do you have the strength? Do you have the courage to 
to listen to that quiet, still voice that says something is wrong here and I'm not okay with it. Mm -hmm. And it might cost me relationships. It might cost me my job. I might be homeless. It might cost me everything I have, but I will no longer sear my conscience. I'm going to have strength and courage. And if I don't have it, God, would you give it to me? Would you come and indwell me? Give me the strength and courage to face this. If only for one reason, that it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And if not, I'm going to be, I'm dead anyway, but I'm going to die a lot sooner if I don't deal with this cancer in my soul. Yeah. That's what you did. That's how you dealt with your grief. 22 years old, the recessed memories began to emerge. The compounding effect of lesser traumas began to all of a sudden hit you like a tsunami, but it wasn't until almost a decade later yeah, well, the, the, I didn't, what was the pilgrimage between 22 to 32? And speak to that any way yeah, you want. I moved home at 23 just to kind of recover. And I just picked a different life direction. Went into design, different education. And, you know, my life took on a different trajectory and all of that, you know, slowly over time became more and more distant, but it wasn't necessarily reconciled. And then... You and I reconnected when I was in my early 30s, and you really helped bring me context into reasoning through the significance of that event and also the effect of the trauma on my body. Like, you know, yeah, I'm over it. This happened. But still, you know, you're always saying the body keeps a score that, you know, there are these residual effects playing out my physiology and my health and my mind that, you know. And your thoughts and your conversation. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's, I think, the hope, right? Mm -hmm. The hope is don't run from this, press into it Mm -hmm. with strength and courage. Ask God for his power and his authority to come in and dwell you and do the hard thing. Because if not, it's a slow death. Absolutely, yeah. You might not be dead, but you're dying. Yeah, buried alive. (laughs) Culminating in what we're going to talk about next week. Yep. Various kinds of disease states. I'm going to have a fascinating conversation with Dr. Cowden about this and the consequence of states of unreconciled grief and trauma in various states of disease. Specifically, we're going to be talking about ALS, but even in dementia and Parkinson's, the root, the unresolved root of what you're talking about manifests in very specific disease states causing an enormous amount of grief, Mm -hmm. not just to our patients, our clients, to people, to us, but to their families and relationships and institutions. We all have a vested interest in understanding the root cause of grief. Mm -hmm. If you have been a victim of rape, please contact us through our website, I think there's a contact page there that you can send in your comments and information. Natalie and I would like to host a discussion and give you some resources to help you get on the other side of this. Catherine agreed to join us as well. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you, Natalie. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>